NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Welcome, listeners. This is NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. Today is August 25th, 2021, and today we're talking with Kathy Fleischer and Sarah Hostetler about everyday advocacy. I'm your host, Tanya Baker, at the NWP in Berkeley, California. Welcome, Kathy and Sarah. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thanks. Happy to be here. I think it would be great if we just start off by having you introduce yourselves. And so it'd be great to hear a little bit about your teaching history, what you're currently working on, and just to make you feel like real people, not just people who work 24 hours a day. Uh, maybe you could tell us something exciting you read this summer. Uh, Kathy, you want to go first? Sure. Um, so I'm Kathy Fleischer, as Tanya said. I was I started my career as a high school teacher. Um, and then went back to graduate school and got a PhD at the University of Michigan in English and Education. And I have spent the rest of my teaching career at Eastern Michigan University um, as an English education professor and writing professor. Um, all the while, of course, uh, as English ed professors do, working in schools, working with teachers, uh, you know, being a parts of wonderful professional learning experiences with teachers. Um, and a favorite book I read this summer that I didn't think I was going to like, but I loved was The Overstory. Um, if you guys know this book, is, it, it's an amazing book of stories about people and connecting it to trees. And again, I thought I wasn't going to like it and I got so hooked on it. I really, really loved it. That book. Same. Jot, jotting that down on my, uh, my long, long list. <laughs> and Sarah. Yes, I am Sarah Hostetler. Thank you so much for asking us to join you today. I uh, have a, a path similar to Kathy's. I am a former middle school and high school English teacher. I am currently a teacher educator. I'm in the English department as one of the ed folks at Illinois State University. And I teach uh, in our graduate program as well, but my primary uh, my primary home is in the English teacher education program where I work with our teacher candidates and support them in their, their learning and in growth as, as, uh, as future teachers. It's, it's really exciting. I, I love my work. Awesome. And did, I know you love your work, but did you read any good books this summer? Uh, yes. In fact, I did. I read The Vanishing Half. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of those books that kind of sticks with you after. And so I always recommend it when, when given a chance. And I just started reading um, as prep for my middle level class. I just started reading Tay Keller's book, When You Trap a Tiger. It's so good. I'm only about halfway through, but I, I can't wait to book talk it with my students this coming week. So wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, we are here to talk about everyday advocacy. And that means a lot of things. It means a book by that title. It means a website where people can find resources. But mostly it means, I think, a way of being in your job as a teacher. And I'm really excited to have the two of you here to talk to us about that and unpack that idea a little bit. Um, but we will start, I think, Kathy, by um, talking about the book that you wrote. The title is Everyday Advocacy, and you wrote it with uh, Antero Garcia. And in it, you tell a lot of teacher advocacy stories. 
You also share a lot of resources for everyday advocacy, but you also sort of start by making a case for why this is an important part of teachers' work. So before we get into the nitty gritty, can you make your elevator pitch here? Why should teachers care about this or take it on? I love that you asked me to do an elevator pitch because that's one of the things we have teachers do when they go through workshops for this. <laughs> um, and, and as I was trying to pull that together, I realized it's hard. So I wrote it down. Okay. So um, here's what I think the elevator pitch is. Um, sadly, the story of teaching of teachers and of literacy is told by outsiders to education. It's told by media, social media, TV, movies. Um, and these stories contribute to a public narrative that's too often dismissive and demeaning of teachers and of research-based practices. So teacher voices, teacher stories, the stories of those who are actually in school with students teaching literacy, those stories matter and can help shift the narrative, the public narrative into one that speaks to the reality of teaching and learning. You have crafted that pitch. <laughs> I feel like we should make you a little PSA. <laughs> um, I, though, am from a herd people who grew up in the dark and cold. And sometimes they say things like they just want to say no for a long time before they say yes. So I'm going to like call on my inner cynic and I'm going to ask you, well, that just, you know, Sounds great, Kathy, but what does that mean? Do you want us to all just become lobbyists? I mean, no. <laughs> um, you know, and in fact, that's why we talk about this work as everyday advocacy rather than advocacy. Mm. You know, we're talking about the kind of advocacy that teachers can do as a part of their regular teaching lives. And that's a really important distinction. You know, sometimes, um, and we talk about this in the book and on the website, we distinguish between big A advocacy and little a advocacy. Sometimes we think about it as legislative advocacy and everyday advocacy. Mm. So that kind of legislative advocacy is a kind that like paid organizers and lobbyists do, right? That's their job. That's what they do. Um, little a advocacy or everyday advocacy is what you can do as part of the overall work you already do as a teacher. There's a lot of small things that teachers are already doing and that we know that teachers are doing, but there's also more that teachers can learn how to do to try to change the narrative. So what we're trying to promote in this is um, to help teachers understand everyday advocacy as some strategies that they can use to help create change, change that's both systematic and ultimately systemic. So it changes how we're thinking about the world. So part of rather than um, in addition to well, that sounds a little bit better maybe than the most cynical person might think. Um, but I can imagine, I can still imagine a lot of listeners, you know, that game that kids play where they put their hand, finger on their nose, like, not me, uh, putting their finger on saying, not me. I, there's always somebody better, better suited for this, somebody with more experience, someone who's more extroverted, someone who's more argumentative. So is that true? Is there sort of a subset of teachers who you think should take up this work? Well, part, part of the, the case that we're making is that everybody takes up this, this kind of work from experienced teachers to emerging educators. In fact, I invite the teacher candidates uh, that I work with daily into the work of advocacy in our context to help set the foundation for this kind of work in their professional lives. So in the past, we uh, typically thought of preparedness for teaching as rooted in content knowledge and pedagogical knowledge. And 
And while that's still true, you know, we need to know about our discipline and, and methods of practice. We think that there's a third area, advocacy knowledge. Um, so how do we go about making meaningful and measurable change? Uh, we know that lots of teachers are already doing this critical advocacy work, as, as, as Kathy already mentioned, and we think that everyone with the right structure and support can take a more efficient and effective route forward in their commitments to initi initiating change in their, their local sites and communities. And I think that's important, what you just said, if I can jump in, it's local. That's the other thing I neglected to say mm. we're talking we're talking about everyday advocacy as something that starts in the local. I um, I just seem like a person with two personalities because everybody knows if they listen to the intro of this show that I'm very excited about your work. And yet I'm here in the beginning playing the devil's advocate of why you shouldn't do it. And I will, I do want to come back to this idea of starting in teacher ed programs because I think that's one of the things that I most love about the book, especially is the way that um, rather than this being an add-on when you get ready, you know, sort of like the old idea about teaching writing, like first you can spell words and then you get to write a sentence and then you get to write a paragraph that we've sort of, that we've rejected. And I feel like the same way about advocacy, I feel like you've really made a case that um, integrating it into this complete package of what teachers need to know and be able to do is a much richer and smarter way to think about it than, you know, first learn your content, then learn your pedagogy, then have some practice, then you can advocate for what's right. So I actually um, really appreciate that part of uh, your thinking and of the book and of the work that you're doing. But um, before we get there, I do want to say, I, I also do know that we hear people say, I, I know what's right, but I can't stand up for it because it's too dangerous where I work. And what do you think about that? I can understand that sentiment. It, it can feel risky to speak up and, and, and to speak out. And, and in some spaces it is. Uh, I believe strongly that if you're in a schooling context, though, you have a responsibility to take up advocacy to the benefit of, of your learners, of the community you teach in, your fellow teachers, administrators, um, you know, others who uh, all, you know, all of us are, are in a position to, to push back and or create more equitable spaces. Um, and teachers at all level know of the change that needs to happen. Uh, we see it in the needs of our students that aren't being met or, you know, the archaic curriculum or opportunities for necessary change that needs someone to champion them. Um, and if there's a plan in place, a, a scaffold based on understanding of the problem, potential solutions, various stakeholders, then we can be successful in, in mitigating the, the common risks that people will hold up often as excuses for not engaging in that work. Um, I think that if you're in education, you are already doing advocacy work on some scale and in some way. I think one of the first steps is to kind of surface that. You're already doing this kind of work. Let's talk about it in a more systematized way so that it is ongoing and sustainable, which is some of the one of the things we'll be talking about here shortly, I believe. Yes. In fact, um, you talk about, I know in the book, but also on your website and also in work that you do with teachers, four S's. Um, so smart, safe, savvy, and sustainable. Uh, can you unpack those a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I can speak to that. And I don't know if we've given the address. Um, the, the site is everydayadvocacy.org, uh, just to make sure that we get that little plug in there. Mm -hmm. So um, 
smart, safe, savvy, and sustainable. Um, a, a quick overview of those, uh, the, the first S being smart. It, being smart is naming and knowing your issue, learning what others think about the issues, framing the issue in new ways, uh, understanding the context in which you're working. Safe is finding and cultivating relationships with allies, you know, others who are in the work or who can offer, you know, inroads for collaboration or otherwise building awareness of the situation. Savvy is moving from concern to action. So how, how can I take the ideas that I have and, and, and put move forward with them uh, in, in a way that is um, strategic, moving beyond tactics only? Um, and the last piece is sustainable. Um, how can you make this part of your everyday life? That's why it's called everyday advocacy. So rather than a one-time project, it's about taking on an advocacy identity to sustain the work over the decades of, of time that, that you are, are in your school or in, in your local site or otherwise in, um, you know, in, enjoying a, a, a long career in education in order to do the advocacy work that we all know needs to be done, um, we have to think in sustainable ways. That's lovely. I love um, how all, the, all those four S's seem to speak back um, to some of the, like, not me or not now. or <laughs> And also, um, I know that even the best of the visions of teaching and learning that are in public uh, in the in media, especially, tend to pick one teacher as the great as the great good teacher in a terrible system or something. And so, uh, this this call to work in community and to build and to work in systems is also, I feel like, even just organizing your work there that way speaks back to this vision that's so unhealthy and makes it so hard and lonely for teachers. So. That's right. I really appreciate this framework. So um, we've talked about uh, why and we've talked about who. So let's say I'm convinced, which you already know I am. How do we, how do you support teachers? Um, thinking about this and I'm, what I've noticed um, that I think will speak especially to writing teachers or English teachers who are readers um, is that you center advocacy around the importance of stories. So um, I might ask you, why does advocacy start with a story and, and or what kind of stories work in advocacy situations? Yeah, so um, I, I love that you focused in on the importance of story because I think uh, this does, as you said, really speak to English teachers in a big way, literacy teachers, but I think it speaks to all teachers in some ways. Um, you know, we all know that stories help us think in new ways about our lives and the lives of others, right? you know, the uh, windows, mirrors, sliding glass doors, right? That, that <laughs> metaphor has struck so many of us over the years. But, in, you know, in every way, when we read stories, when we think about stories, we think about ourselves differently and we think about the world around us differently. So stories are super important. Um, so I've been doing advocacy stuff for a long time, even before I got to the everyday advocacy stuff. And years ago, I read um, something about advocacy, advocacy by this amazing scholar whose name is Marshall Gantz. I say scholar, but he's also a hands-on person who's done all this work. And uh, when I read about this, it kind of flipped a switch for me in my thinking about the connections between advocacy um, and teachers. So Gantz, again, one of my heroes in the world, mm -hmm. um, he centers his work around the role of stories and shifting what he calls the public narrative. 
he talks about how we can change the existing narrative through a three-part process all about story. The first he talks about is a story of self. The second is a story of us. And the third is a story of now. And this is sort of a growth development thing to think about these three kinds of stories. So for Gantz, the story of self communicates who I am, right? In terms of teachers, it's our individual story of teaching and learning. And then the story of us communicates who we are, you know, how our story is really the story of many others and how these stories together can help us articulate values of a community. And then the story of now helps us think about who we can be, what we can do if we work together. In other words, like how can our collective stories and our values contribute to making change? So when we work with teachers in an advocacy workshop, we, we actually start with thinking about this Gantz um, uh, idea of self, us, and now. So we start by asking teachers to focus on their story of self. And we specifically ask them to write an individual story about a great teaching moment, and then to think about what made it successful. And then we put teachers in groups um, online this summer, in person, other summers. <laughs> we have teachers into group to share their stories and to try to identify what's the story of us, you know, this group of us who have come together as teachers. What are the themes? What are the values that cut across the stories that represent the themes and values of teaching literacy? And I have to tell you, every time we've done this, I probably have done this, I don't know, 20 times at this point. Um, it's magic. Like it's magic because we tell these different stories about teaching and it becomes so clear what are the values that we hold. Um, and then we move them to think about the story of now. So we ask the teachers to consider how these shared stories, these shared values might help somebody outside of education understand a different story. And to think about, you know, with whom might we share these stories? Who might benefit from hearing these stories? What about these stories do we think would resonate with others? What genres for sharing would speak to our audience? Because what we're really trying to do is to show that the values that we hold as teachers are very similar to the values a lot of um, other people in our community might hold. And so uh, by using story to get to that, we can really identify how to move forward and what stories, what values, how we're gonna communicate that outward and what genres could work for that. So that's really the essence of the beginning of workshops that we always do. I love that. I wanna go to that workshop right now. It's so fun. I mean, seriously, it's so it fun. That sound like magic. And over the years, what I've seen is that every group identifies some similar values. Like mm -hmm. there's differences, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on but there's similarity that goes across all these years. So, you know, at this point, I know like hundreds and hundreds of teachers that I've done this with um, have some shared values right. That, right. that they can use to build on to try to help change the narrative. So speaking of changing the narrative, so you start with these stories and then you do a lot of work with teachers around um, identifying and framing an issue. So we do have these shared values and we work in these uh, in a in a country and maybe in a community and maybe in a school that either don't share them or they or they um, they don't uh, maybe inform policies and practices. So you, you move from th these stories to thinking about an issue that teachers want to work on and then um, identifying a particular issue and framing it. What does it mean to frame or reframe an issue? 
So the way that we understand it is that framing and reframing are critical steps to moving forward with a full understanding of the situation and in the context around the issue. So how are people understanding the issue that you've identified in, in your particular context? What, what experiences or years of knowing are influencing how some groups read a particular situation? Um, once we know how folks are taking up an issue or come to understand something, then we can work to create new frames or reframe an issue as, as necessary. So, um, for example, and I, I know you both understand this and our, our, our listeners will too, that um, it, it's not unusual to come across a, an outdated or otherwise problematic view of what, what, what writing is or who write, writers are or what counts as writing. And so um, we often tell the story uh, every semester in my, my, my writing methods course about how, you know, how do people respond when you tell them that you're an English major and that you're in teacher education? And people immediately will say to you like, oh, my grammar is horrible. Oh, don't judge me. Oh, I cannot write. Meanwhile, they'll, they'll get out their phone and send a perfectly coherent text to a friend. Um, and so if we can first come to understand, um, like, what's influencing people's, you know, larger cultural understanding of what counts in these spaces and, and, and working to address where people are in their understanding of grammar uh, as the primary focus of correctness is the primary focus of, of what it means to be a good writer, for example. Um, so once we understand that, then we can introduce some reframing that's far more inclusive. Um, so I kind of, you know, made quick reference to they get out their phone and, and type out a text. Well, they're not concerned about about grammar in that text. They're just sending out communication. So we can use this information to, to reframe um, like I said, writing in a far more inclusive way. And, and at the center of that framing and reframing is recognition of, of who you want to reach, what their prior experiences have been, and, and how you might draw attention to, to the issue in a new way that makes sense to the particular audience that you're reaching. So that, uh, that understanding of, of the situation is, is really important um, for any forward movement or momentum of that, that shared definition around an issue or a situation. So I think some people would feel like, oh, if we get to a shared definition, then everything will fall into place. You just didn't get it. I mean, we hear teachers talk about each other like this or, the, or out in the world like, oh, if you just shared my value or you just understood the issue the way I understood it, then we'd all do the same thing. And yet, despite that, you ask the teachers that you work with to make an action plan. So what is an action plan and why would I need one if everybody, if I just reframed the issue in a way that everybody understood, why would I need an action plan? Oh, that that could happen, right? <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's really a complicated thing to reframe. Yeah. It's really complicated. Um, uh, one of the things that we often recommend for our teachers to do um, is a, uh, there's a a site called the Frameworks Institute and Frameworks mm. Institute um, has like beautiful videos you can watch for free about reframing. Um, and I've really learned a lot from them about ways to think about reframing. And, you know, like every group in the world is trying to reframe things so people understand it. You know, I think one of the mm -hmm. uh, like most significant reframe is when, when we went from talking about global warming to talk about global climate change, mm -hmm. right? That's a significant right. reframing. So there's reframing happening all the time around mm -hmm. us and it isn't easy to do. Um, <laughs> but as we start to make moves towards reframing, I, I think it can help. Um, 
And so I guess that's in part how an action plan, I like the connection you made there because we, we start thinking about an action plan. And so do teachers really need one is a great question. Um, but I think that here's why action plans are important. They can help us think about the big picture of advocacy and what we want to do first, second, and third to help create change, mm. right? Because, um, you know, one of the things I've learned from my study of uh, community organizers and other advocates is that you don't achieve everything all at once. You know, it's a step forward, it's a step back. It's a step, two steps forward, one step back. Like it keeps going on like that. And if we create an action plan, we can really sort of watch how we go. Okay, first I need to talk to administrators because I need administrators to understand this. Or first I need to talk to about community because if I talk to community members then I get allies and the allies can help me when then I talk to the principal, right? It sort of lays out how you're gonna do this. And, and that's super important to try to figure out who to reach first and how to reach them first. Um, so I wanted to give you an example. So one teacher who we mm -hmm. have in the book and we also have it on the website is um, this amazing woman named Elena Felix, who's a high school teacher. And she really wanted to shift the narrative surrounding reading in her community. At the time she was teaching in a small rural community, um, you know, reading involved, like you read To Kill a Mockingbird, you read whatever, like it was, there wasn't much choice reading. It was what the curricular said. People didn't really like reading, right? So um, she framed her issues. She wanted to create a buzz about reading. That was it. I'm gonna create a buzz about reading. So people are talking about reading. So she created an action plan that helped her think about the audience. That she, the audience says that she needed to reach and in the order she needed to reach them. And then she was able to think about like, what are the strategies and tactics that she could use to reach those people? And that's a big part of action planning is to figure out what is your strategy and what are your tactics? You know, tactics are like the small mm -hmm. action steps you take to move towards something. So, um, you know, she started doing things like creating, she created a what I'm reading poster for like we often have at the end of our signature lines, right? Mm -hmm. She did that for all the teachers in the school so they could add that and put it outside their classroom. So the kids could walk around and see that everybody was reading what they were reading. Um, she invited parents, administrators, teachers, custodians, secretaries, staff people um, to do a short video of what they're reading and put it on a shared YouTube um, site. Um, she started applying for various grants to support classroom libraries. So, you know, she was real strategic in how she did this, starting with like getting this buzz going by people talking about their reading, getting other people in the community to talk about their reading, and then seeing, let's apply for some grants to try to get classroom libraries. And they ended up getting grants so that every teacher got classroom libraries. Um, every English teacher. So it was really great. And she had this whole timeline about what to do first, second, third. She planned out like a year in advance of what she was gonna do. So I think of an action plan as just an organizing tool, right? That helps you keep on with your message, with your framed um, idea, with your audience, with your tactics, with the timeline to get things done. You know, and sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes you have to readjust it. And sometimes you have to rethink how you're doing. But what I love about this story about Elena, she ended up switching schools a couple of years ago, but the work that she started is still going on in her former school. And that's, I think, a true measure of how her starting this advocacy plan and really working hard in it, what happened as a result of that. So do you need one? Lots of great advocacy can move forward without one, right? Mm -hmm. And we see it all the time, but I, I'm a planner, right? And I'm a great believer that if you create some kind of plan, it can help you 
uh, focus. It can help you fit it into your day-to-day schedule. Some people go from this to creating advocacy calendars and on their calendar, they have like what thing they're going to do, you know, uh, yeah. week or next week or the next week. You know, there's lots of ways to do it, but I think this idea of uh, planning, being planful in your advocacy work can really help you achieve it. Mm-hmm. That I That's lovely. I also think um, when you were, I mean, I've read this story in your book and I've heard you talk about it before and but there's something about, I don't know, it in response to my question, or maybe because I replaced a sink this weekend and it, <laughs> I went to Home Depot four times. And when I say I, I mean, I helped my husband do that. So just to be clear, I don't want anybody to think I actually replaced the sink by myself. That would be dishonest. But what I like about this action plan business is, um, I think sometimes you get a big idea in your head and you do one thing and it doesn't work and you go, well, that didn't work. I guess I should give that up. But if you've already planned out four things or you've already taken the sink off the wall, whatever, (laughs) you're like, oh, I guess I'll have to keep going. I guess I I should keep going. I have another thing to try. So you've sort of laid out a number of things to try before you start, which hopefully means you won't give up. And what you just said is so important because I think teachers feel this a lot. They're like, okay, I'm going to be an advocate. I'm going to write a letter to my congressman. And they write a letter and nothing happens. Yeah. And so they feel, why should I do that again? Or right. they write a letter to their congressman and they say, done. I did my part towards advocacy. Right. Right. So to be able to think about it in a big, bigger way, bigger meaning, more steps, more tactics, more audiences, smaller way in terms that think more local. And each thing could be a... A small thing, but they but they add up to this environment. I I also just um, want every school to have those laminate what I'm reading things for every teacher, right? I mean, just that is like such a beautiful community, small community step that could really change the like make something visible that was invisible, right? Yeah. Right. I'm thinking also back to the writing example that Sarah was talking about. Yeah. One of the teachers we worked with did like this beautiful thing uh, for her back to school night. She had all the ninth grade parents in and instead of doing the regular, you know, here's my curriculum, she asked them to write about um, an important moment, writing moment in their lives and an important reading moment in their lives. And they wrote about that. And then they went around and shared. And she said, you know, what are the things we noticed from this? And they're like, oh, we had choices in what we did. Oh, you know, we got to write work in the world. (laughs) Oh, no teacher put red marks all over it. (laughs) Right. And so by her, just that small thing, them being able to look at her class and be like, okay, I understand what this teacher is doing now. Right. So much more effective than her handing out a list of this is what I'm doing and why. Okay, I feel like these stories with this frame are going to make everybody want to put advocacy into the mix of their already busy days. So I feel like it'd be a great time to share with people some resources for doing that. So why don't we start with um, talking about the book? Kathy, can you tell us about your book, Everyday Advocacy? Yes, I'm super excited about this book. If this were not on radio, I could hold it up and, you know. I know, it's so pretty. Everybody should get it. Um, <laughs> Not just because it's pretty. So it's called Everyday Advocacy, Teachers Who Change the Literacy Narrative by Antero Garcia and me. Um, 
And so it was fun for us to do this together because we've been doing work separately in advocacy, like not the same kinds of things. So to come, we like talked at some conferences, right? So we came together to think about writing this together. Um, the beginning chapters of the book um, talk a lot about what we've just been talking about here. Like what is everyday advocacy? How do you do it? What's framing? You know, what's an action plan? Um, and then we have two sections in the book. Um, one section with stories from teachers and one section from stories who are teacher educators. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them have been through our advocacy workshops, but not all of them. Um, so it goes back to that action plan question. Not all of them work from an action plan and some of them did. So in the teacher section, we hear stories like the one I just shared with you about Elena Felix, um, another teacher who used social media to change, another teacher who shares how he used advocacy to get a writing center established at his school. Mm -hmm. So some real, you know, fun stories about how they did that. And then in the teacher ed section, we hear from professors who've integrated every advocacy into their methods and other courses as Sarah was talking about earlier. Um, so they can start to see themselves as advocates from the very beginning of their teaching lives. Um, Sarah writes a beautiful piece about an inquiry assignment that leads teachers to imagine themselves as advocates. Mm -hmm. um, we have others who write about how um, candidates can build a better foundation of knowledge and expertise, that sort of smart part of advocacy. Mm -hmm. um, another one um, talks about, and teacher educators will know what I mean when I say this, the EdTPA, which is like the, what we have to do for accreditation, mm -hmm. how to help pre-service teachers reimagine the EdTPA. So mm -hmm. there's these like shorter kind of chapters by teachers and teacher educators about actual things that they've done. And then what was really fun in the writing of the book is Ontario and I then wrote in response to each one of these yeah. chapters to try to see, um, we would talk about it, like, what are you noticing? What are you noticing? And then we would write these um, sort of responses at the end about what we, what we could learn about advocacy and what we as readers of these had learned about advocacy from the work that um, teachers and teacher educators are doing. So a savvy listener slash reader would be like, oh, story, stories of self, stories of us, stories of now. You got I'm it. Getting, I'm getting this. You got this, girl. <laughs> Um, save this book, but you also have a website to support teachers. That's right. Everydayadvocacy.org. Um, so this is a relaunch of an older website, um, with what we believe are some like really important, um, re-emphasis points of re-emphasis, um, and some, some reframing using the everyday advocacy Framework. So the new website was made possible by an NWP seed grant and the hooray and the collective efforts of, of colleagues who share our commitments to advocacy. And I think it's important to name them because we so much labor when it went into this. Mm. So Christine Dawson, uh, Amber Jensen, Ray Ovia, Jen Dale, and Shelby Whitty are um, a few of the folks who stepped forward to to help with this project. And, and Kathy and I uh, launched this. Um, so together over the last two years, there was a, a brief interruption, but uh, over, over the last few years, we revised the site and it, as we've grown in our own understandings of advocacy and, and how it works. And so like in any good um, process orientation, there's revision and refining as, as we continue to grow and learn. Um, so one example is we wanted to be responsive to the realities that Educators are at various points in their advocacy journeys. Not everyone is starting out from scratch. And what I mean is it was important for us to reflect individual educators' identities as advocates 
Um, so one change was uh, putting multiple ways in for those who may not be new to advocacy, mm-hmm. all the way you know to those who you know folks who've been ag- agitating for change for years to to those who are brand new and need you know understanding of really what it is that 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 we're doing and just those kind of those those early steps. And so um, we're excited about the site. It offers these these various frames into everyday advocacy and a whole host of resources um, that we are growing out right now. And, 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 and Kathy, you might wanna build on this, but one of the things that I'm most excited about with the website um, would be the, the invitations to writing, the posts that we've been including that we will um, continue to post as the months move forward, but short stories from folks in the field, in classrooms, in education who are doing this work to model for us what it can look like in a variety of different contexts. And you, if you look on the site, you can find a place if you're somebody who wants to submit one that we can look at. And yeah, we would love, we would love to feature the advocacy stories of, like I said, folks who folks who are new to it, folks who've been doing it for a long time and where they see the, their own identities as advocates intersecting with you know, the, the, the work of, uh, you know, changing the literacy narrative. Um, something else that we're really excited about is uh, through the, our partnership with NWP um, and the Right Now Teachers Studio uh, is an opportunity for um, uh, the, a deeper dive. Uh, and so this is, I don't know, Tanya, maybe you can help me um, mm-hmm. bring, bring some more concrete language. And <laughs> it's, it's like, a, well, I'll let you just say what it is. <laughs> yeah, so uh, listeners um, who've been, following NWP radio or anything, any communications from NWP will know that we are really excited about the teacher studio, which is an online community space for any educator interested in teaching writing and writing also. So um, obviously the everyday advocacy work, um, it involves teachers in doing both things, writing about their practice and also improving or um, working on their practice. So uh, all educators interested in that can join us at the studio. That's studio.nwp.org. Um, and in that, you'll find some deeper dives, which are sort of like opportunities for online professional development or community work around a particular topic. And we're really excited that at the teacher studio, um, Kathy and Sarah have opened up a group about everyday advocacy and will be leading a deeper dive in the next semester. So you can join us at the teacher studio anytime, but um, we'll also be pushing announcements about uh, deeper dive into everyday advocacy in the teacher studio this winter. So that's right. Look for us in 2022. Woo woo. <laughs> hey, I also just wanted to piggyback on um, the website stuff. I just wanted to give some credit uh, in the original version of this. I worked closely with uh, Jenna Fornell who is a former communications director for the National Council of Teachers of English. Um, oh, so yeah. a lot of the thinking around this comes out of Jenna's um, thoughts as well. So a shout out to Jenna as well. I love Jenna. That's great. I love <laughs> our work is uh, intersected in various places where um, we each worked. So it's great to hear Jenna's impact or not surprising to hear Jenna's impact on that. So I, um, I think we should close by just talking about um, coming back to this idea about the individual and the individual and community. And you, like me, we are all writing project folks. So um, how is this work important in our communities? 
Oh, wow. <laughs> where, do, where do we start? I'll just scratch the surface um, to say, you know, the writing project was built on the value of teachers teaching teachers. Yeah. Um, and NWP trusts that, you know, while we have much to learn from each other, you know, we are experts. Um, and, you know, what we say impacts the narrative of literacy education. And we believe that the framework of everyday advocacy um, amplifies those ideals. And it's, it's, it's teachers, you know, bringing about change. It's teachers calling in other teachers to help support this work and to, to point out that this work is already happening and how can we, um, you know, uh, support each other in doing it in ways that are sustainable. And to me, that just, uh, just exemplifies what the National Writing Project is about at its core. It just seems like a really natural extension um, of, of the work that folks have been doing um, for decades now. Agree. <laughs> In your imaginations, do you have an ideal audience or use case for your book and website? I think that there are a number of audiences for it. Um, I think teachers can use it with colleagues in professional learning. And there's a place on our website where it says, if you're a teacher and you want to do this professional learning and you have an hour, right? Yeah. Lay out things that people can do. So I think teachers can use it with their colleagues for professional um, learning. You know, you could use it as a book club book mm -hmm. um, to be able to start thinking together about what you could do. Maybe pick up uh, an issue together that you would wanted to do if, as, a, as a teacher. I think as we've talked a lot about English educators, I would love them to see how they could use parts of this to um, help teachers from the very beginning of their professional educator lives. Um, I would love writing project sites to use it as summer year-round workshops. You know, it could be uh, an institute. We've done that at Eastern Michigan Writing Project for a number of years now. Um, we have also started again through this NWPC grant, this thing we're calling Everyday Advocacy Ambassadors. So all the teachers who have been a part of that, um, all mm. the PCs who have been a part of that, now have some knowledge that they can take this back to their own communities and do it. So, I mean, I guess I can't think of a single audience because I think if we really want to change the narrative, we have to help teachers at all levels reimagine themselves as advocates. You know, that I think is a goal, um, you know, that their voices matter and that they can, starting at a local level, create change about how literacy and literacy teaching are represented in the world and make it possible to change um, the teaching and learning for our students. <laughs> I sort of wish we were doing a video um, call webinar because we didn't really put up any charts or graphs or videos or anything, but it is very exciting throughout this hour. Each of us have at different times raised our hands in cheering motion. And that was Sarah just, Sarah just cheered for that close. And I would too. Um, I, as you both know, I'm enamored of this work. And I think it's one of the things I think um, seeing ourselves as advocates for the world we want to live and work and teach in is a really powerful um, way to keep us invested in in our work throughout hard times. And we're definitely um, in multi-layered hard times right now. And so I think this work is so important and I'm so glad to be able to bring it to our community through the radio show, to share your website and your book and to be bringing you into the teacher studio to um, uh, create opportunities for teachers to work together on these things. So um, I just want to close by saying thank you so much for all the work you've put out in the world and the way you support teachers to 
remember the why of their <laughs> professional commitments um, and for taking this hour to spend with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. Um, you know, when you do all this work, it's lovely to know that people are listening and are trying and want to do it. So we uh, would encourage you know, any teacher who's doing who has a question, you can contact us. Um, we're here to help you think about how you can make this a part of your own professional learning and with the people that you work with. Yes, I'll just echo Kathy to say thanks for the invitation, Tanya. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, there is a button on the website at the bottom where you can reach out to us um, through the Everyday Advocacy email. We would love to partner with folks who share our enthusiasm for this work. Perfect. The book is Everyday Advocacy by Kathy Fleischer and Antero Garcia. The website is everydayadvocacy.org. And um, this is NWP. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Uh, hopefully we'll see you in the studio. To NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.